Welcome into Locked On Horn Frogs. I'm Stephen Simcox. Beside me here on the box is Matt Jennings. TCU, they were down by 18 on Saturday. It didn't matter again. You get a lead on the TCU Horn Frogs, it does not matter. They come back to BK State, they're 7 0. We'll talk about it next on Locked On Horn Frogs. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It is Locked On Horn Frogs. Your TCU Horn Frogs are seven and zero. I'm Stephen Simcox. Matt Jennings with us for uh, his weekly Monday conversation, recapping the game that was on Saturday, and it was another victory. TCU comes back from twenty-eight down. To get a 38 to 28 win over Kansas State. There were more injuries to opposing quarterbacks, uh, but the Frogs found a way to win. I want to start in a weird place. And Matt, I'll apologize in advance. I'm about to do what I call a Matt Mosley question. When I used to work with <laughs> Matt Mosley in radio, he would give these very long winded questions. And sometimes he would talk so long that you wouldn't even know what the thought started as or what the actual question was. But I'm going to bring it full circle. I'm, I'm um, looking forward to it. Let's do it. Okay. So last night, Josh Neighbors, who hosts Locked On Big 12, which is another good podcast on this network, he tweeted in the second half of this game, he said, TCU is just wearing on teams. Oklahoma, Kansas, Oklahoma State, and now Kansas State have had guys go down left and right against the Frogs while their guys are still standing. Not sure what to make of it. So I quoted this tweet, and I said, TCU strength and conditioning coach Kaz Kazadi has made a huge impact in his first year. And some people from opposing fan bases picked this up, and they thought what I was getting at was that Kaz Kazadi has turned TCU into a bunch of injury-making monsters, which that really wasn't my point. Um, I was I was commenting on the fact that this team is just – they seem bigger, stronger, faster. They seem like they're able to keep their legs under them much better in the second half of games than they have in the past. And I think he's had a big uh, hand in that. Um, you know, one thing Sonny Dyke said in the offseason, and I don't remember the exact quote, but he was pretty blunt about it. Like, he was pretty explicit when he said one thing he realized when he got to TCU was that they weren't really doing the whole nutrition thing, and they weren't doing strength and conditioning like most programs were doing in the modern era. So they overhauled it. Um, and Matt – one more thing. I remember a couple years ago, this was in the 2018 season, I think. You were doing the Purple Menace podcast with Billy Wessels. And it was like a mailbag thing. And TCU had a ton of injuries that year. And somebody asked, like, should we be worried about the strength and conditioning program? And you said, no, like, that's a cop out. Like, it's fine. That's just thing that that's just a thing that people say when injuries get bad. And I agreed with you at the time. I'm not like killing you for this take. Um, but I feel like over the last couple of years, we discovered that maybe there was more going on than we initially thought that was leading to so many injuries for this TCU team. But all that to say, my question, how much do you feel like just sort of the, the change in the culture, the um, new, more modern way that they're approaching the offseason program, the week-to-week training is helping this team sort of withstand just 
such a long stretch of games in comparison to the teams that they're playing. I think it's definitely made a difference and you can definitely see that change, that shift in emphasis, right? Like even um, like, you know, if, if anyone's been watching Carter boys on ESPN plus um, they did some features on, um, what some of their um, what some of their staff is doing in terms of doing like the in um, the in practice uh, uh, like motion monitoring or like speed monitoring right and like they're able to say like okay we have this guy's um, like personal best in terms of his speed on field speed at this mark and how close is he running to that over the course of this practice and then they can they're talking about like making alterations, like even like in the midst of practice, like, Hey, look, you're running hot. You've already hit your like right near your top speed a couple times. Like you can probably ease off a little bit to avoid overworking. Or if somebody's like running lower, they're like, okay, well let's, let's try and get this guy, you know, some, some high energy reps, like just stuff like that, like details, like Sonny Dykes in like the, the locker room video after, um, after the Oklahoma state game, um, among the things that he said, like they're everyone's excited and, and cheering and he's talking about like, oh, um, you know, so proud of y'all. And and among the things that he says, he's saying like, hey, like be smart tonight. Like when you guys are celebrating, like don't make any, don't put any, any of your team in a bad position. And he, saw, and he also made a comment, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember exactly what it was, but made some comment about like, hey, like this is, oh, you know what it was? It, it was like, this is a result of y'all. Um, y'all working hard in the off season, da, 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 um, makes, and, and doing the right things in terms of taking care of your body. And when he's talking about like things you do later that night, like make smart decisions, make smart decisions in terms of like what you do, like with your body, like, like even like the idea of like, even keeping nutrition in mind, just like not as part of your normal program, but just like, Hey, just like, like the, the part of the reason we're here is because the way y'all are taking care of your bodies on, on a new level and like keep, keep that up. Right. And so it's just a difference in tone. It's a difference in emphasis that we have not seen. Not to say that the previous staff like didn't care about strength conditioning, didn't care about nutrition, but it's different. It's absolutely different. And um, I don't know how much of it is to be attributed to um, how much of the injury thing, the injury luck thing can be attributed to that. Um, they've obviously had some significant injuries that have played a factor in this season thus far. I mean, Marcel Brooks is out for the year. Um, uh, Bud Clark has been in and out of the lineup um, due to some nagging things. So like, it's not like they haven't had any, but they definitely have been healthy thus far. They're in the middle. <laughs> We're going to see how well that holds up because they're in the middle of having to play 10 games in a row with no breaks. And so we'll see how well they hold up over the course of the season. But the fact that, oh, and of course, like the big one, obviously, is Chandler Morris like in game one, right? So like it's not that they've been un untouched by the injury bug, but I do think um, in a small sample size, it's worth noting like, hey, like this team is is not burning out in games. Like they're able to play these high play count games they're able to come back in games even though even when they come even when they're they're initially down and so i'd like to see a little bit more of a sample size before i like attribute attribute specific things to it but it's absolutely different and it's it's a it is a refreshing thing to see like hey there's a difference in mindset there's an emphasis on it and um there are it, it is it has to be contributing to the results that we're seeing the, the the amount to which it's contributing to it tbd but i think it's you're you're absolutely right that it's it's affecting how this team's performing and that's cool to see 
So let's talk defense for a minute, and we'll start with the first half. Um, so Adrian Martinez goes down the first drive. Defense, they allowed one first down, but they get them off the field, force a punt. Darius Davis, long touchdown, 7 nothing. Just what the doctor ordered as far as start goes, and then everything kind of fell off a cliff for about a quarter and a half. Um, Will Howard comes in, starts throwing the ball around. There's some missed assignments. He made some big-time throws, too. Like, I was surprised at how well he was fitting in some throws. But bottom line is they gave up 28 points, get down 28-10. Um, they made up for it. But let's talk about the first half first. We discussed this after the Kansas game. We both sort of agreed, like, well, you know, Jalen Daniels, more of a running quarterback. They're prepared for that. Bean, Jason Bean comes in. He's throwing the ball around. Um, that sort of threw them for a loop, and it took a while for them to get their feet feet in under them. I guess it was the same situation on Saturday. And I, I understand that that is – like I get that a new quarterback being thrown in the mix when you haven't scouted him is tough. But also, Matt, like you can't like you can't go up four touchdown drives in a row. So what, what were you seeing that was problematic about that first half? And they eventually settled in, but just a lot of huge plays in the passing game again. Yeah, I do think the lack of preparation for that specific player is part of it. Um, I think the tone was kind of set a little bit on his first touchdown pass of the game to um, to Cade Warner, which was a little bit of a 50-50 ball. Like it was, it was actually kind of underthrown, and Josh Newton was in position to make the play for the interception, and and Cade Warner just like ripped the ball away and just like it turns it goes from a from a from a possible turnover and and a chance for TCU to capitalize on early momentum quick and kind of bury K-State early to then oh like this is going to be um you know K-State's offense is going to be able to get rolling and they did um after that play then it was a matter of like there were coverage breakdowns there were guys who were just getting beat I just we've said it before, like the secondary is just the, the weakness of this team on the whole, um, particularly of the defense, but I think just of the team altogether. And like, you're not changing that in season. And so I think the only thing you can do is kind of do the best you can and, and hold on for dear life and hope you can score enough points to kind of make up for that and see if you can make the adjustments in game. Um, because they just had, whether it's guys running free down the middle or guys, um, you know, a lot of time guys were were trying to make plays in the open field and just and, and and missing tackles and it wasn't just in the past game but in the first half um we've talked before about the 335 being about spill and kill right like it's sort of like okay we you, you you plug up those gaps in the middle and force the runner to the outside and that is great if then you've got your back end players coming up and and making plays um on the edge and and cover and and making stops for little to no gain. Whereas uh, Deuce Vaughn and and Will Howard and at all were, were were getting outside and and running for first downs or throwing off tacklers, right? And so um, they fixed that in the second half, which I think is definitely something that's that's praiseworthy. Um, but yeah, like this, I think the secondary, both in terms of knowing their assignments in pass coverage and in coming up in run support, left a lot to be desired in the first half. And I think that allowed them to Kansas state to kind of rack up that early lead. Um, they adjusted. And just like we were talking about injuries with K state, TC was dealing with their own Miller Bradford's not out there, um, which is a big deal. Um, and so 
it all, like everything's relative, right? But um, I think those are the things that it's going to be the case probably in every game going forward is right. It's like teams going to look for ways to kind of find those soft spots in, in, in the zones and take advantage of, you know, a secondary that maybe just doesn't have the depth that they probably would like it to have. Well, in the second half, I mean, they, they shut out Kansas state, held them to 82 yards. Like it was a completely different story. Now, part of that too, uh, they did face three quarterbacks on Saturday and Jake Rubley, the third string QB for K state, he was out there trying his best. I and mean, he threw he threw one time, he threw a pick. He had a sneak on fourth and one that looked like he didn't really – he just wasn't confident even in just taking the snap and trying to drive the pile forward. So that was helpful. Um, they've forced some turnovers. I mean, had a couple interceptions. Like, Joe Gillespie is great at these in-game adjustments, and I'm really – I'm really excited for the defense because they they found a way to play well in each game in like pockets of the game, and that's all you really need with the way the offense is producing. I just don't know like how to sort of get get that merge for 60 minutes, and maybe it doesn't. Like maybe that's just kind of the ceiling for this unit is that they're probably going to have you know three or four drives a game that are tough, and I think it looks worse because oftentimes it's it's like back to back to back, and all of a sudden you look up and Oh, they've scored 21 points their last three drives. Um, but again, Matt, like the the adjustments at halftime, the adjustments in the game have been outstanding, and the, and the players are responding to it. Yeah, I think they the 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 big thing to me in the second half was that you know was again the kill part of spill and kill was working in that when Will Howard. Um, or uh, Deuce Vaughn were getting out there on the edge, like they were getting met at the line of scrimmage or behind it, or or if they were making a gain, it was a short gain. And I thought that was the biggest adjustment to me in the second half. And so that, you know, K-State averaged like over five yards a carry on the game, but a lot of but um, but a lot of that was a result of like they were reeling off a bunch of big ones in the first half. And then over the course of the game, TCU was kind of able to 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 ratchet that down. A little bit so i was impressed by that um and then yeah i think they made some adjustments in the in the passing game they were in better position a lot in the second half i think they once they realized what kind of concepts that um colin klein the offensive coordinator for kansas state was trying to run with will howard um and they were able to kind of better expect what was coming in the second half then things things worked a little better i i do want to, two things on 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 the two plays that you mentioned with rubley um when he came in um, how Colin Klein handled him as a play caller was, I think, probably Kansas State's biggest problem is at like on the game because um, he's in there for for two drives, three drives, and yeah, on the pick it was like a play action, and then he was supposed to throw back across the field, and it was like it was a long, so it was a long throw, like it, like laterally across the field, and it was a long time for it to be in the air, and gave Bud Clark a chance to get underneath it and, and make the pick. And then the second time, I was like, why is he the one who's being on the sneak? It's like it's fourth and one. Why is your third string quarterback the guy who's who's getting the ball in his hand in that situation? So those are two play calls that I think benefited TCU in a big way. Um, but um, I don't put a whole lot of stock in in the fact that Rubley was in there because, he again, he was only in there for about two drives. And um, when Will Howard was – Will Howard was only – left the game with like – 
um, what was it, like five minutes left in the third quarter. Then TCU yeah. possessed the ball for a lot of the intervening time. And then he came back with, with down 11 with like – with more than 11 minutes left in the game. So it's not like Kansas State was um, completely at a loss, like had no shot to get him back on the field and try and and, and, and drive to make a comeback. So, um, you know, I think injuries absolutely played, played a part in it. I think it would be ignorant to say that it didn't, but I think um, I, I attribute it, I attribute as much or more of the defense's success, particularly in the second half, to, yeah, them making adjustments in terms of, how they're defending in the pass game, them cleaning some stuff up in terms of making tackles in the open field. Um, and I too would like to know why, <laughs> like you just can't come out the gate like that. Um, uh, I don't know what's, what's different coming out of halftime versus, you know, at that at, at opening kick, but um, that, you know, they've gotten done what they need to get done in order to, to get to seven and zero. So it's hard to criticize it too much. Yeah. They're finding a way um, offensively. They ran the ball 56 times yesterday. You talked about the time of possession. Um, 56 times for 215 yards, only average about four yards carry. Kendra Miller, 29 carries, 153 yards, about five and a half per carry, had a couple of touchdowns. Uh, we talked about Kendra last week. He's been great. I'll, I'll let you mention the play that sort of comes to mind for you last night when you think about his game. But I feel like even more than the production – the attitude that he's brought to this team and the physicality that he runs with has really uh, brought a new dimension to this offense. But again, a, a super productive night for him. And uh, he was fantastic, Matt. He really was, you know, anyone who follows me on Twitter, which why would you, but um, knows how, you know, just how much I love watching him play. And um yeah, I just love it when it's Miller time. Um, but yeah, the the play to your point that really kind of stood out to me that um, kind of was a signal to me that like, oh, I think TCU's winning this game, even though they're playing from behind. Was it wasn't one of his his running plays, although he was he was great running the ball. It was the screen on third and seventeen, and he picks up eighteen. Um, and it was a it was actually a pretty nice play design by Garrett Riley. Um, you know, get. Um, Miller out there with like three offensive linemen out in front of him and Duggan does a good job selling the action to get to the defensive line to bite and get and give them the space but Kendra still like he made first contact with the defender with like eight yards before the sticks like he had to work hard to get it looked like he was like oh like it's gonna be fourth and manageable it's like no he's converting this and they're getting down into scoring territory and they go on to score a touchdown later on in the drive the touchdown that got them to 28 24 and it's like oh like that was the moment where the complexion of the game like truly and irrevocably changed to me like probably the moment where i was like oh like i think tcu's winning this game it, it kind of doesn't matter that they're still trailing um because if if kendra miller's running like that if they're executing like that on offense and um, they're able to have these long sustained drives where everyone knows how explosive they are. Everyone knows how TCU can, can, they did it on the first drive of the game, you know, reel off like a 60 yard touchdown and, and score in, in, in 40 seconds of game time. They know, everyone knows that the fact that they can also switch gears and have a long drive when a team's hell bent on not letting you get those big plays and they're forcing you to march down the field and you do it anyway is really, really impressive. And the fact that you've got an offense that can do both is, is it, 
it takes this team to a different level than what I thought was, was probably possible. And one thing I want to ask you about is relatedly the idea of like balance or being able to win in different ways. I think it's interesting that I think Max Duggan, if you, if you have a, if you're picking a like a, a person to put on the Heisman ballot for TCU, it's probably Max Duggan. But I think it says something that like, it's really hard to pick one guy on this offense um, whether it's Kendra, whether it's Max, whether it's Quentin, um, who is like the guy that like gets the headlines, gets all the attention because they're so balanced and they have so many weapons. And then in any given week, any one of them can do that. It can, can have that breakout game. And like Jared Wiley was the example yesterday, right before national tight end day, which is great. There's not, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm also pointing the Matt Mosley thing. I don't really have a question in there. Or if I, if I do, it's really just like, what do you think, um, uh, what do you think that does for TCU kind of heading into the back end of the season that it's like, you don't have one weapon that another team can key on and, and kind of shut you down. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I think we can, we can make it transition to another topic, which is, which is great. That's, that's broadcasting in a nutshell. Um, if I had to pick one guy, I don't know if it, here, here's, here's my thought. I don't know if it's one guy. I think what it does for the team is it makes you, really tough to beat. It makes you a tough out because you can win at different tempos, at different paces in different ways. You know, what's impressed me about this offense, I think sometimes high flying offenses like this waste possessions. And I, I get, I get that sense sometimes with TCU too. waste possessions. And then it's like, Oh, we really need to score here and they can't do it. But I've like pretty much all year long, there's not a lot of drives that I can think of that they get the ball on a punt or after a score. And it's like, okay, this is a, this is like a must score. Like you got to get something, preferably you got to get six and they've done it. And I mean, it's been like um, against Oklahoma state, they had like that 91 yard touchdown drive. They have the 99 yard touchdown drive against Kansas. I mean, it's been a long drive going the length of the field, converting third downs. Um, I do feel like I don't think Kendra Miller is necessarily the centerpiece of the offense. I couldn't pick one. I guess I'd give it to Max by default just because he's what makes the engine run. And the skill guys almost like take turns week to week with who's the dude, even though it feels like Quentin Johnson's probably going to get 75 yards and a touchdown each week, you know, the rest of the year, which would be wonderful. Um, but I do, I do believe this, and I'll, I'll bounce it back to you. I think when they need a, when they need first downs, like if they get the ball and it's like, all right, we need to milk the clock, get first downs. If they get the ball and it's like, all right, we need to score, they're still throwing the football. They're not doing what they did in the past, which was, okay, let's just hunker down and run the ball forty times. But I do think like the physicality of this team and this offense is sort of their identity. And I would not have pegged that as, you know, what they were going to be great at before the season, but even a third and goal from the nine last night that put them up 10 or it's like, okay, if you get a field goal here, you're up six and the momentum's still trending your way and you feel good, but you also like, it's a one score football game. Um, but they just handed it to Kendra and they had like some nice counter action going and they scored. But I, I just feel like when when they need a big play, they're turning to the run game, which is surprising to me. But I mean, it's it's working. So you know, 
why why change it, I guess? Yeah, I think it's a testament to Garrett Riley and, and Sonny Dykes that they are willing to play in a way that's maybe not their um, primary instinct or preference, but they understand that, hey, this is the way this is maybe the best advantage that we have with the roster that we have. Let's, let's go with it. Right. Um, it feels very much, it feels again, not trying to like, you know, take shots at, at the previous coaching staff or anything, but like, that's just not an approach that they had in previous years where, you know, you had, you had great skill talent, particularly on the outside, with guys like Quentin Johnston and, and Darius Davis and, and, and the like. Um, but it was like, we're not going to find more than just a couple ways to utilize those guys. Instead um, this year, even though Garrett Riley and Sonny Dykes are very much air raid guys and Garrett Riley, although they did end up getting like 80 plus plays yesterday um, or Saturday, but um, he's on record saying like, Oh, I'd like to, I'd, I ideally I'd love to run like 80 plus plays in a game. I want to go high tempo and then the but the fact that they were able to like downshift and sh- and and completely change the the pace of the game but still execute it and do it well um when they needed to and like even do it within the game is really really impressive i think it's a testament to them understanding like this is the roster that we have this is what we're good at this is what can help us in this particular situation and we're not going to necessarily be beholden to something just because it's what we like we're going to be beholden to whatever we think is in the best interest of winning um and that sounds really obvious but it's something that a lot of coaches often are not willing to do um you know the example yesterday again is that you know they have this quick touchdown drive they're down 28 to 10 right and then it's um it they get the ball what right before how, how much time was left with like three um, yeah, with like 3:32 left in the um, in the second quarter, and they go down the field in like three minutes, uh, and they score a touchdown, and they go 91 yards. Great, and so like that's very much like what you would think of with a with a Sunny Dykes kind of an air raid team, right? And then they get the ball first in the second half, and then they like they downshift and they they spend six and a half minutes going 77 yards. And they get a touchdown, right? And so, like, this idea of, like, hey, like, let's keep the ball away from Will Howard. And let's, to your point, let's run the ball. Let's make them defend us. And then let's use, let's, let's go play action off of that. Um, let's open up the middle of the field because the linebackers and the safeties are creeping up. And they utilize the middle of the field a lot. They were thrown to Jared Wiley and, and Quentin Johnston a lot over the middle. Darius Davis's touchdown came on a crosser over the middle. And so they're using the full width of the field in the passing game. And that's being opened up because they run the ball the way they do. And so... I'm just rambling at this point, but it, I, I agree with you. It's very much like it's weird that that's the key that kind of gets things going. And it is kind of ironic given like what the identity of the team has been over the last few years, but they found the way to do it in a more effective way that still has like a passing game that is complementary on top of it rather than just like the passing game is what we do when we feel like we have to and we're forced to. Um, instead, it's the passing game and the run game are meant to go hand in hand and work well together and work with the personnel that you have. So complete hypothetical here that I want to throw out to you just cause it's fun. All right. So let's say years over um, and you're, you're sitting at home one day and Jeremiah Donati calls you on your cell phone <laughs> and, and he's like, 
Matt, I'm so glad you answered the phone. I have a question. He <laughs> says, Joe Gillespie and Garrett Riley have been offered head coaching jobs. And both of them have come to me and told me that they're prepared to take it. And unfortunately, we spent a lot of the athletic budget on hypnotoed hoodies. And now we it's only have investment. yeah, we only have enough money to match one of these salaries and keep them around. So we're gonna have to let either Coach Gillespie or Coach Riley walk and you know become a head coach somewhere else. Which coordinator do you feel like we should pay and keep for the foreseeable future? So that's a great that's a great way to set up that question. <laughs> uh, uh, Donati has not should not ever um, have any interest in what I have to say. Um, he know he called you after you wrote that article last year about Gary. That's a that, don't, don't was, say that. Don't say that. <laughs> don't make people think that. Um, oh no, he didn't. He probably so anyway. Go but, ahead. <laughs> um, I would say so. I, I this is a hard question because on one sense, like I feel like you, in terms of who's shown you the results immediately, um, then you go with Garrett Riley, right? Because it's a proven commodity. Um, but at the same time, Gillespie, I think, and I said this today. I feel like he's working wonders with the hand that he's been given because he's got a roster that um, was not recruited to populate a three, three, five base personnel package. And he's trying to teach and install. Um, I guess they've already installed it, but trying to um, get a, a, a whole defensive roster up to speed and comfortable with and playing instinctively within his scheme after like playing in an entirely different scheme for you know four years five years uh for some of these guys um and so the fact that he's got this this defense from being just atrocious last year to just only being like just kind of bad this year like that doesn't that you know if you didn't have that context and you're just like oh tc's defense is nothing special um but if like when you look at it within context you're like what he's done here is actually kind of amazing um so I do kind of feel like I'd go with Gillespie because Dykes has shown that he can, um, his teams are going to score points and, and the offense is going to be solid regardless of who the play caller is. He's done it with Jake Spavitt all. He's done it with Brett Lashley. He's done it with Garrett Riley. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any doubts about his ability to like, okay, let me find who my next OC is going to be. You know, maybe bring back Rashad samples from the NFL if he's interested in it and you just keep, you just keep going. Um, whereas Gillespie, like the idea of like losing him after you've made this progress this year and possibly having to spend another like year one scenario installing another defense and and you're then you're behind in terms of your recruiting development cycle. So actually, I'm talking myself into Gillespie, but I do think they're both like really have been such great assets to this te- to this team and they've both been in their bag in the second half of the last couple of games. So kudos to them. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm going Gillespie. Yeah, and I want to keep both of them. This is just a fun question to throw out there. Um, and I would I would keep Gillespie for the, the last point you made, which was I just trust Sonny to hire an OC that would keep the train rolling. I don't know if it would be, you know, to the extent it is now, but I think they'd be okay. Um, some of you guys have lost your mind about Garrett Riley, though. Like, he's a sharp dude, and I see some, like, tweets and stuff mid-game where you, some people get frustrated with play calling. 
which I get it. Like play calling, there's a lot of plays get called. Sometimes I am like, hey, Garrett, let's just get back to running the football, even though I did that pretty well last night. Um, but Garrett Riley is, is great. You know, we're not running like double reverse passes at the at midfield anymore. I'm sorry, Doug Meacham. I love you, man. Like, I, I love you, buddy. You're a great receivers coach, and I'm glad you're still on staff. But anyway, we'll blame that on Jerry Kill. He's probably running double reverse passes at New Mexico State right now. I don't know. I don't watch New Mexico State football. I don't get Stadium or whatever network they're on. Um, <laughs> New Mexico State is catching strains. In this yeah, podcast. well, I don't know. Take a shot at the Aggies. You know, who would score more points, the Texas A&M Aggies or the New Mexico State Aggies? No, <laughs> Stephen, known well known for taking taking uh, cheap shots at. New I should I shouldn't clout. take. I shouldn't take. Yeah, I shouldn't take shots at Jerry Kill. He's a very nice man. He hung in there last year in a tough time. Apparently, he took a helmet during the SMU uh, celebration. A totally, re- last a totally year. real thing that happened. Okay, I'm. I keep. I keep getting myself in trouble because I just keep thinking of funnier ways to rib somebody. Uh, I love all of you and. I'm sorry, Jerry. I'm sure, you know, that probably wasn't your play call. Anyway, um, last thing, Matt, just yes or no. Uh, as we sit here today, is TCU playing in the Big 12 championship game in Arlington in a month or so? I mean, I would say, I mean, I'm going to knock on all sorts of wood. I'm going to make the caveat, the the qualification that, like, we have officially reached – the time of the year where September sunny, it's not really accurate because we're well into October. The short answer is yes. I think yes. Um, I will c- qualify that by saying um, uh, Sonny's record over the last three years. Oh, no, uh, uh, since 2019, so the last four years, um, before October 24th is 26-0. and 0. And his record after October 24th is six and 10. So if we, and I know you talked about that on the pod last week, um, we're going to see if September sunny, which again, it's more like Halloween sunny, more like um, Diwali, sun, D- Diwali dykes. Um, it's more like, it's more that. But the, so we're going to see if that's real this season, but Look at the AP poll today. There's not a single team. There's not a single ranked team left on left on TCU schedule. In theory, the two toughest games left on the schedule are at Texas um, and at Baylor. Um, Texas is at least as of today still a top ten team in SB plus, and Baylor's twenty second, I believe, as of this week. Um, Two solid teams, Uh, flawed but solid teams, and. So I think the things you watch out for is it's you are t- playing 10 straight games. How do you hold yeah. up? How do you hold up yeah. for that? You're playing more on the road in this back half of the season than you were at the beginning. That's worth noting. And there's a whole like specter of late season swoons under Sunny Dykes. That's all true. And at the same time, like they now they really have their own, they, they control their own destiny they're alone on top atop the standings and they kind of get a mulligan. Like even if they lose a game down the stretch, they're still guaranteed a spot. Cause they would still have, they, they, they would have tiebreakers over every other, over any other teams that as of today can finish with one loss. Yeah. I think they get there too. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if, if they don't, but I just feel like at this point, the magic number is not a no. Like if you can find a way to win the next two, 
then you give yourself some wiggle room over the last three games of the season. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Tough trip to Morgantown, though, this week. And yeah, that's Morgan, another team that they have not played well. Lately. Morgan, not only a team that they haven't played well against, they've lost three straight against them, just like they've lost three straight against Kansas State. And actually might be more than three straight now I'm thinking about it. But they've never played well in Morgantown. The only game that yeah. they've won in – that's not true. Okay, the, the two games that they won in Morgantown were their first two trips, right? It was 2012 with Jason Verrett had the block, had the field goal block, and Josh Boyce played outside of his mind. And then the 2013 game, or excuse me, 2014, when, um, you know, they needed that last second field goal from Overcombe to, to do it. And other than that, like, they've gotten waxed in Morgantown, like, every other time. And that is 100%, like, on the table, right? Like, this is the thing, just the caveat for not just this game, but the rest of the season. They're, like, the defense, we've talked about it, is just a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Like, they are, they are good enough to kind of, put the offense in position where they can, where they can do what they got to do to be able to win games. They're going to run into a game at some point down the stretch. Cause it happens for every team, every season where just the strength of the team just has a bad game. They're going to have a game where the offense just can't get it going. Can they win a game despite that? Um, can their defense hold up well enough despite that? Um, is this week the week where that happens where the offense just like, Hey, it's on the road. It's in Morgantown. It's cold. Who knows? Maybe. Um, so I'll be interested to see it, but yeah, no, I mean, on, on the whole to this point, I've seen nothing from them or from the rest of the teams in the league to make me think that TCU shouldn't be one of the top two teams in the standings at the end of the year. I'm sure I will come to rue that statement, but that is how I feel <laughs> today on October 20, whatever today is, 20, the 24th. 24th, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today, folks. I love Monday shows. I've come to realize that my favorite day of the week on YouTube might be Fridays because that's usually the day that other team, like the other team's fan base finds the video and like watches it. So there are some chesty K-State fans uh, <laughs> on Friday that were telling me, one guy said that they the Frogs wouldn't score over 20. They scored, they scored more than 20, sir. So take that. And <laughs> West Virginia fans don't like me because I called them toothless mountain people one time on the Locked On Big 12 podcast. I did it in an endearing way, but they took it personally, and people tweeted mean things to me. I live in a town of 4,000 people, so honestly, like, I'm probably – anyway, I just made a few jokes, and they didn't enjoy it. But uh, we'll see if they come at me or not later this week. This is Locked On Horned Frogs. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team. 